Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today, our guest from Southern California is Gary Gall. Gary, we'll turn it over to you. Give a little intro to the listeners on yourself, please. Thank you so much, Dennis. Very, very happy to be here. Great opportunity. I know we've been trying to do it for a few years now. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I'm out in Southern California, the land of fruits and nuts, as they call it. Great (laughs) weather. Been out here for about four years now. Um, Been strictly one-on-one personal training for those four years. And my background comes in the athletic functional training world. Prior to coming out here, I spent eight years as a strength and conditioning coach. I worked at basically all levels, whether it be intern or head coach of division athletics, college athletics. And prior to that, my career got started personal training and doing group fitness and also doing internship and program work for the US Navy. So we've been working for a long time, going on 11 years. I feel like the hustle never quite ends. And then I Got out here and at Heart and Hustle, we're a a startup facility. We started Trainer Republic, our other brand. There's six of us. We wear many, many different hats. We train many, many different individuals. And every day you definitely earn it. That's, That's one thing that we're doing. I can guarantee you that. Nice. And your experience at the collegiate level as far as coaching, you're dealing with just genetically superior individuals to the everyday person walking around on the street. As far as their training regimen, I know the big thing that we see is the debate about injuries, right? Performance, but you know, yeah, preventing injuries. What are some aspects in your opinion in regards to that? Is that even like as far as non-contact injuries, is that something that you can even train to not happen? Dennis, I believe that you can have efficient movement and train the ranges, also using something like stick mobility that I was introduced to when you and I first met. I wish I had a tool like that when I was a college coach, for sure. I think every one of them would say, and I think it's getting into that world. But what I found out is as we lose the physical physical education classes and the idea of physical education in teaching weightlifting or teaching calisthenics or it not being taken as serious, I think toward the end of my strength coaching career, you had a lot of athletes that were athletes, but they lost the athletic or movement realm of that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I actually abandoned a lot of movements, the, the barbell back squat, the deadlift, the dual leg bilateral deadlifts. I went into gymnastics, coaching the, the bare minimum, you know, something you would coach a five or six year old in gymnastics about a hollow body or about pelvic movement. I did a lot of that because really that's what I started to see. And I had a good, good relationship with our athletic trainer. And he was a former gymnast. So him and I were able to collab on a lot of things. But we did, I would say in the beginning of my career, it was hoorah because I was a football player and we're going to work here and this is an intense environment and here's what we're going to do. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But as I became more educated, I figured out, well, how do I incorporate the motivation of that world into 
benefiting their sports and keeping them off the bench or out of the ice tub. And I did abandon a lot of the simple movements. A lot of the foundational things that I thought would have been part of my program were not by year five of my program. Wow. Because you just saw differences in the athletes. At least I did. The bulk of my time was spent at the division two and division three level. And I know we had some kids that they played the sport and they were very, very good at it. But as I was getting them at 18 years old, they had never seen a weight room before in their life. Mm. So I took a moment back and thought, all right, hold on. Can this, can this athlete do a push up? Can they stand safely on one leg and balance themselves, not fall over? Can they hold a plank for 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. So I went back to the raw, basic, minimal movements. And I believe it did work. So you found that it helped with preventing injuries. Did you find that going back to those basic movements, did it hurt anything as far as like building more strength, you know, putting on muscle, becoming more powerful? I think so. Because I sacrificed that. I sacrificed that thought process of get them as strong, as powerful, maybe as big as possible to, okay, keep them efficient, keep them safe keep them healthy throughout their seasons. Did we get through this year? Do we have less injuries, less serious injuries than last year? What benefited me is we had, we didn't have any contact sports. I didn't have lacrosse and have hockey. I didn't have football. I didn't have anything like that. Oh, okay. At, At the particular school I was at for the bulk of my time. So I was able to get away with that philosophy. When I was a grad student, we were at a division two school very competitive in football, basketball, and wrestling, a lot of contact sports. So the philosophy was much, much different. But also, as I look back on that, there were a tremendous amount of injuries at that school, mm-hmm. especially with the, fo- with the football players themselves, there were a tremendous amount of shoulder injuries. We sat down, and remember, we sat down, the head strength coach, myself, and the head football coach and said, are we, are we doing something? Are we, are we doing something in the weight room that's off? Are we teaching fundamentals that are off? Because we were getting shoulder injuries, labrum tears across the board a lot. Mm, okay. But new, when I was at New Paltz, beneficial. But yes, did I take athletes and teams and sacrifice their strength and power to benefit in their efficiency and mobility? Yes, I did. But if those sports weren't as physically demanding, then it wouldn't really hurt their performance in a way as much. I don't think so. Because throughout the time there, you saw, it was funny, I said this to myself, but you saw the teams getting better. You saw the teams becoming more competitive, more conference championships, more successful seasons, less injuries. Mm. And I did, I sat back and looked because I, I looked at sheets that showed your, your max out lifts. And I said, wow, this team actually on paper didn't do that well, but mm-hmm. their season and their championships, they did. And they were healthy. Maybe a little bit is not overtraining. Totally agree. We were very, very good at that. Most of the coaches, of course, were very, very conscious of that too. A lot of times, even in the off season, no team came in more than four days a week. And during in-season training, it was one or two days per week. Wow. And in my mind, right off the bat, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. But I, I tried to meet at least halfway. Okay, if you're going to give me four days, here's the best four-day program that I can come up with. Or if you're going to give me two days... Here's the best two days that I can come up with. You're going to give me one day? 
I don't know really what I could say about that, but I will try to <laughs> use the one is better than none philosophy. Well, you have to remember at that level too, division three sports, I don't want to categorize contact versus non-contact. There's just something a little bit different about a contact sport athlete. And you know, the overall philosophy of really buying in or dying for something wasn't always there. Gotcha. If that makes sense. No, very true. The thing is with contact sports is, you know, injuries are always going to take place. It's just what the, what is the context of the injury? Was it non-contact? Was it sustained in practice in the gym? Or was it in the heat of the moment as far as the actual game itself? And one of the things is, is you're hearing all these debates about how it can be prevented. Oh, it's blah, blah, blah. And really, is are we trying to chase a unicorn here? I mean, is it something that we're really just grasping for straws at? I think so. Overall, you're never going to completely eliminate injuries, right? Mm -hmm. If I went in and said, okay, my overall goal is to not have any injuries this year, I think I'm fooling myself. Mm -hmm. But as time went on, I did look at individual Sally was a freshman. How's she doing that squat opposed to, okay, Sally's now been, is a senior in this program for four years. You should see a distinct difference form, efficiency, range, her comfort in the movement, her comfort with certain load on heat or her. I truly, as I get older in the field, as I continue to study, as I continue to follow specific individuals, I do believe, I mean, are you going to completely have time to knock out every bird in one specific program? No. You, you want to give up five minutes for a warm-up, 10 minutes for mobility, try to squeeze 20 minutes of your strength work, and then you have your cardio conditioning. It's, it's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. So when it came down to it, you're thinking, okay, how could I maximize? And to go back to the efficiency is train the ranges. Dump off the weight, take things way back. If we're going to do push-ups, we're going to make sure our chest can touch the floor military style with no shoulder pain. We're going to make sure our elbows are in a good position so it doesn't put extra stress on the shoulders. We're going to squat. We're going to try to get the butt below that parallel range. We're going to try to keep the chest up. If you can't, we'll slide something under the heels so you can. Mm -hmm. And then that was an easy fix because then you could actually load them there and it immediately fixed everything. We're going to stand on one leg. We're going to get very, very good at that. Before we actually lunge or do a split squat, you're going to hold a split stance for me and be able to talk to me for a minute while you're there. That's the stuff that I wanted to see. Because I do believe this, it comes back to, and I think in my opinion, it's only going to get worse as PE and the idea of physical fitness throughout middle school or high school just goes by the wayside. You have some schools that are doing it. You have some programs that do it very, very well. I follow a couple. But as that goes by the wayside, you're, if you're a college strength coach, you're going to inherit this 18-year-old individual who may not have a clue what a weight room even is. Mm-hmm. Or they may look like a baby fawn. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, yeah. you really have to take a step back. You, know, you can't come in day one and think, okay, for us, it was, you know, me- believe it or not, men's volleyball was our big dogs at Newpost. They were national championship team. They were athletic. They were big. They were strong. Okay. Day one, we're going to max out today. Everybody load weight up on the bar. And I have these three freshmen and I watch them do a body squat. And I think, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Nope. We are 
not doing that for you three today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're just not. I don't care how you want to keep up or where your ego takes you. I'm telling you right now, we're not. <laughs> I think what you brought up is great because maybe that's something that we haven't really integrated enough thought process into is the fact that kids at a younger age just didn't grow up like we did. Yeah, where they were no. outdoors all the time and and school programs like I had gym class or recess like every day. Yeah, so we right. Yep. And you learn so much within that structure because your gym coach either has you doing stuff or during recess you just play games. So what you, you brought up is a great point in the fact that you're getting some kids that just didn't grow up with that background. You're running, you're jumping, you're falling you're tumbling yeah. if you fall enough eventually you're going to learn how to fall because you don't want to get hurt anymore mm -hmm. if you're running you're going to learn how to cut zigzag you know we play tag you play mm -hmm. certain games <clears throat> that involve physical fitness now every game is virtual on a screen yeah and most of the public schools have limited pe to like maybe two or three days a week you know unless you're in a private school then you don't have access to everything all the time I'll tell you what, guys, this was back in 2004 and 2005, and especially since I was on the football team at the time, when you would go to our PE class, we would play catch or we would sit in the corner with our girlfriend. The, the teacher didn't even take it that seriously, or you would play two innings of wiffle ball. I remember watching a John F. Kennedy time or a 1960s PE class. Oh, yeah. And what they were making these individuals, men and yeah. women, go through and I'm thinking, I don't even know if I could do that right now. Yeah. Was it but that think, uh, La Sierra high school or something like that where they're, the guys are correct. doing like a crazy three minute warm up, and then they've got to yeah. go monkey bar. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It was awesome. They're, they're climbing yeah. on jungle gyms. They're doing dips off the, off the bars. They're, you know, they're basically doing the calisthenics or the extreme, almost the extreme version of the, of the calisthenic. Yeah. I think the lack of that background of just, acquiring those skills at just a younger age of just being kids and having fun and, and playing tag and doing all that stuff is a missing integral part of, of their upbringing. And it makes the job harder once they get into that upper echelon. So, cause they're getting by just on basically raw talent at the younger That's ages. Right. They're just better than the people next to them. Simply and then put, you, yeah. you become you know, as a string coach, you don't, the books really don't go back to, okay, we're going to teach body squats and push-ups, or we're going to program for a five or six-year-old. Mm -hmm. You're coming in as a strength coach, or at least I was at 25. It was my first head coaching job. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm ready. These kids are going to squat. We're going to deadlift. We're going to military press. We're going to bench press. We're going to make these kids strong. And then you see them and you think, okay, this, <laughs> this might work, <laughs> but I don't know if I want to do that that way. Here's where I got to get creative and we really take a step back here. And it, I didn't see this right off the bat either. At my first year, year and a half, I, I would say I forced things a little bit. Mm -hmm. That is, I just continue to start to see it, especially as the younger ones came in, I thought, no. Uh, this this can't be done this way anymore. Because even if I'm getting better numbers or I'm getting numbers on a sheet that may tell me strength and power are up, are they that efficient? How deep's the squat? 
how good was that jump on the vertical? Was, was the landing okay? There's a lot of other factors that came into it. But overall, I thought it would just be better off to take a moment and not say that we weren't necessarily going to work harder, but we were going to definitely be smarter, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. In our general perspective, is it just in society by itself, everybody's always about progress, progress, progress. And they want to see, but in the world of athletics, we want to see numbers keep going up and up and up and up. Do you think that chase for increased numbers is really just what's creating a huge, is really contributing to to the types of injuries that we're seeing? I think it can be. Because what are you doing? What are you doing when you're chasing numbers? I, I'm good at it. I, I, I'm an all, at all costs kind of person for myself as an individual. But when you sit, you sit back and think, okay, what am I really chasing? Am I chasing the 405 squat that kind of looks like hell and the person is eking out everything they have just to get up? Or am I just trying to put that down to show their coach, hey, they got this strong this year? And then maybe that athlete goes out and in the first week, they can get hurt, right? That's neither here nor there. That could be out of everyone's control. But I think as far as the pressure between whether it be parents, whether it be teammates and colleagues, whether it be coaches, whether it be the strength coaches, other colleagues, I think the pressure to show some sort of increase in progress is just always there. And the only way everybody looks at it in that world is a 40 time, a vertical jump, a a heavy squat, a heavy bench, heavy deadlift. You know, if those numbers didn't go up, then what are you doing? I've had so many, I got, and the thing about it is it did get worse as it went on, but I had so many parents or coaches say, Hey, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. And they would show me some kind of video. And I said, I would. It got to the point at the end of my career where I would, I would bring one of the athletes over and I said, hey, why don't you try this? And then they would do that beginning step and struggle. And I said, that's exactly why we're not doing that yet. <laughs> yeah. If I can't have this individual stand on one leg or stand in a split stance, how am I going to ever have them jump off one? Yeah. Or try to do a single leg box jump or, or whatever that may be. You see all these cool things out there and you want to think if my athlete or my team does this stuff, it'll make them better. I beg to differ on that a lot. A lot of those cool things may have come from an extremely gifted individual or an individual that may not necessarily know why they're doing what they're doing, or it literally came from years upon years upon years of basics built up over time. And then you're finally, you're seeing the result of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's usually what Social media is anyways, right? Yeah. It's just stuff that people are highly specialized at, typically, really good at. But like you said, Gary, it can be from years of them practicing that over and over and over again. And they're just very adept at doing those particular things. I mean, the people, Mike Boyle is is a, a big one. There's another facility out of Michigan that I've really, I dove into. There's a couple other individuals that their style is just very simple. I mean, at the end of the day, all of us being in the fitness world, the, the body can squat, the body can hinge, the body can lunge, it can carry, it can rotate, press and pull. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's it. No matter what tool or what position, you can change the positions, you can do specific things to that, but that's what the body does. 
We're not reinventing anything. If you maximize those foundational movements in simple progressions over time, that's one thing about my career, Dennis. I don't know if you saw this for yourself at times. I just started to realize as I get more in tune with my coaching and training, my programs just get simpler and simpler. Yeah, it does. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I spend so much time trying to think about how sexy I can make it or if I can try to add in different tools or progressions. But when I really sat back and looked at the team overall, or now it's individuals, I thought, well, no, they actually just need that because they're still not good at that yet. Or they just need to do a push up, or they just need to do a kneeling, just press to get them to press straight up, whatever that may be. But mm-hmm. it simplified a ton. It was like, poof. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I wasted a year and a half trying to be some kind of sexy trainer. It's interesting because it's that I think you're finding out the farm boy mentality of just doing simple tasks builds a really strong, powerful individual. We see people that can squat a lot and deadlift a lot, but yet they struggle to pick up a 150 pound object and carry it, you know, uh, 50 yards down the, you know, 50 yards or 60 yards. Because it's not a bar, it doesn't have handles, it doesn't have grips. It's something that they have to actually learn how to manipulate, pick up, figure out where to hold it in regards to their body structure and their strength factors, and then complete the task of carrying it 50 yards. I completely agree. And I think as things progress and being part of this field, I think those are those are tasks and characteristics and exercises that are so very special. I don't think they will ever die out, but they just have to be emphasized time and time again, especially with the youth. If you're at that level, especially because they're seeing all this crazy stuff that as we were younger, we didn't have access. We didn't know what Michael Jordan's trainer was doing with him. Yeah. Yeah. Now these youth now can pick up and look at LeBron's program or whoever's. And they see that and immediately they want to do that, but it takes education and a buy-in and a really good sense of why to say, hey, here's what I need you to do first. And then once we get through that, here's what I need you to do next. And maybe, just maybe, I promise you, we'll get to that area. You got to get through here. You got to prove to me that you can get through here. Yeah. And then, you know, these parents maybe don't realize like, hey, what Michael Jordan did as a kid, what LeBron did as a kid was they played everything and they did everything on the playground and they just, they didn't have any real structured training until they got into maybe high school, college. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But key word behind that, you know, is they, they played. Yeah. You know, they figured it all out, like Dennis talked about before, is we played. We played tag. We played touch football. We picked things up. We fell. We realized, oh, if I fall with my arms spread out, that really hurts my shoulder. I have brush burns everywhere. Maybe next time I'll just tuck because I think I can tumble right up and keep running. Or Mm -hmm. if I got to pick a certain thing up and pull somebody, maybe I'm in a relay race. Oh, if I pick them up this way, all right, now I can move quicker. Your awareness and everything through that type of practice just constantly gets better. But let, there's less and less and less and less and less of that. My fiance is a, a PE teacher. She oh. talks about the basic games that she will do that we all used to do 
And now as she's explaining it, it falls on a deafer set of ears because they don't understand. And then you watch them to watch them do it. You think, whoa, I mean, have you been outside? Have you been in the dirt? Have you fallen before? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not getting into of how uh, that we should do this or anything like that. It's just if you are in the strength and conditioning field and you are at any level and you're going to deal with youth coming up, you have to be prepared for something like this. I know you had referenced just earlier about basically programming as far as time segmentation and time restrictions, uh, constraints, I should say. How should a coach, I mean, I figure it's a, it's not a one solution answer, but as far as dealing with how much time should they focus on strength, power training versus recovery versus, you know, mobilizing mobility work type stuff is let's say they get access to their student athletes three times a week. What would like an ideal program be? I would try to fit in the mobility work. I didn't do a lot of rolling. That was more of a space logistical issue. I didn't have Mm -hmm. a space to store 20 or 30 foam rollers. And I didn't have a gym that was spaced out well enough to have everybody laying around doing that. Occasionally on the fields, we would do it. But as far as mobility and warm up, I would try to anchor all that in right in the beginning. If there was anything going on, if I saw that as a team, they were tight in a certain area, I would try to take care of that during their warm-up phase. I would do a lot of balance and footwork in their warm-up phases as my career went on. That's going to take you a good five to 10 minutes at least. I would then sacrifice, overall, I would sacrifice their strength work out of everything. Their strength work for me started out as probably what was 40 to 45 minutes down to about under 30 or even 25 minutes toward the end of my career. This goes for off season two. And then I had a period that that can be categorized as strength and power work. Cause the way Mm -hmm. I would line up the programs, the power work actually came at the beginning of the, Mm -hmm. the routine. And then toward the end went into conditioning and cardio, if you wanted to call it that, but it was more metabolic work. I dove down rabbit holes of looking at certain games and being, it was just me for 300 athletes and 15 sports. So I started out with a template that individualized every single sport and realized I couldn't sustain that. Went back and did one program for everybody, realized I can probably do that a little bit better. Then went back and started to categorize certain teams. I would train women's basketball, women's lacrosse the same way. Because based on, I would watch film or YouTube of their sports and I would see how many minutes or seconds they were in what I would guess is a certain energy zone, if that makes sense. I, re- mm-hmm. I dove down into it and then I would train women's basketball or field hockey and soccer the same way, if that makes sense. Because they were running through what I felt were similar energy systems. And that for me depicted, okay, if you're a soccer player, your strength work will have the same exercises as the basketball player, but you're just going to spend less time in your strength work because I don't believe you need it as much as the basketball player. 
you would spend more time in your conditioning or metabolic work. Did that answer your question? Mm-hmm. No, that, I no, that's went off. Per- no, that's perfect. Because I think the more we dive into things, the more questions we end up ha- giving ourselves, right? I think good coaches or good trainers should always wonder, am I doing something incorrectly, so to speak? Or is there a better way to, to do what I'm trying to accomplish? I agree. I, the one thing that I would always look at over the course of the years is actually every year to some degree, my program changed. And I thought, this is very good. I didn't notice this. It was just organic through study and adjustments. I thought, okay, every year this has adjusted and changed to some degree. Program in year one was not what it was in year five. So then I thought to myself, okay, I seem to be, there's never a truly right path, but I'm going in the right direction for what I have to work with. Mm-hmm. And I believed in that change. I believed in it as long as it was organic and it didn't come as a rogue decision or it didn't come via request. And there were scenarios for that too. But overall, through evaluation and analyzing, it got different. Mm-hmm. And like I said, over the course of time, the teams as well got better. Not mm-hmm. saying that had anything to actually do with me, but at least you want to be there when things are going up. You don't yeah. want to be yeah. there <laughs> when things are going down. <laughs> that is very true. Well, because I think what you said, the program, your programming changed slightly. I, I Like an example for me would be for the Washington football team, one of their offensive linemen integrated rock climbing or bouldering in his off-season programming. And for, for Neil and I, we were both like, dude, that's awesome. Because here's a guy that's, he's a veteran in the league, right? I mean, how much stronger is he really going to get by beating the crap out of himself during the offseason? How much faster is he really going to get? He's been in the league for a handful of years. So from his social media, you're seeing that his response is, Boulder has been a phenomenal offseason addition to his programming where he feels better. He feels stronger because he's got to hold himself up on that wall. I think it's amazing, Dennis. And this is where if I would have continued to be in that particular world, I think my mind would have went that way. It's very untraditional. Mm-hmm. Who's going to go tell your offensive lineman if you're a coach, hey, why don't you go bolder for <laughs> five weeks? But I'm thinking in my head now, Gary... String coach year one, Gary? No. String coach year seven, Gary? Yes, definitely. Pick those things up, move around, figure out how to get your body configured, figure out your leverage, figure out your levers. Mm-hmm. Dumbbells are fixed objects. They're easy to hold. A barbell is easy to hold. So yeah, you can load up 500 pounds on that thing and it's easy for you. It's designed for that. Can you lift a 150 pound rock or can you pull yourself, your own body weight at a lateral angle for your shoulder and everything in that arm. Mm-hmm. There's no way those, those muscle groups are going to fire muscle groups are going to fire that you didn't even know you had. Mm-hmm. And sports are, sports are extremely chaotic. I started to get into this, especially even with the gymnastics baseline. Cause that was another thing I, I thought to myself, I thought these kids are never really squatting or lunging, they're moving everywhere. They got to change on a dime. They have to make sure their hips are underneath them. They have to make sure their base is low. They have to watch their feet. Chaotic. 
And then five seconds later, they can, they might have to drop from a sprint into a backpedal or an angled run, or they might have to stop dead. How could I teach them how to do that? Right. So teaching transitions, but like you just said, teaching levers and angles, that's a huge aspect that I think our, our industry is really shortchanging everybody on as far as understanding the basics of what those are and how it affects us. Absolutely. But how yeah. it affects the general person is one thing because it still affects. I mean, people have manual labor. They got to pick up their groceries. They have to do all those things. But in an athletic or even a tactical, another area that fascinates me is, is tactical coaching. Mm. The military people, mm-hmm. the firemen, police, the extremely physical workers. That's very interesting. That's where you, even from a mental standpoint, can benefit a lot. Of, hey, if you picked it up at this angle, opposed to that angle and you hugged it here opposed to there, it's going to be a lot more efficient for you. You can get Mm -hmm. your job done quicker. You won't feel like death at the end of the day. So, you know, now that you're in the one-on-one setting, what's the biggest difference? I mean, has programming become more challenging or is it easier? I think now as time goes on being fourth year in and just experiencing a gym like Trainer Republic and Heart and also where our owners, Kevin and Greg, they, they want to be on the forefront of new machinery and state-of-the-art equipment. There was a lot of things when I first got there I didn't even see before. I was at a Division three school with a low budget. I was lucky if I got some barbells, dumbbells, and even kettlebells. So I figured out, okay, I got a barbell and a few dumbbells and a rack. I'm going to maximize my situation here. But now I get out here to Kaiser machines and all this fancy stuff. And I think, oh, wow. There's tools that I didn't even know we had. Mm -hmm. So that's where I had to dive into it, but I got caught up. I got caught up in the flash. And what I want to say I got caught up in is stimulating myself rather than actually stimulating the client. I was doing things that was successful. People kept coming back, but I was doing things just because I thought they needed to be done or I thought it needed to look cool. Mm -hmm. As I progress now, I start to realize, okay, it doesn't necessarily need to look cool. What does this individual actually need? And it simplified things a lot for me. And our layout, especially with our equipment, we like to say, I mean, we can train anyone from the pregnant woman to the NFL safety. And we can try to use the same template of exercises. But through knowledge and options, the way we add variation to that makes it different. Because mm-hmm. you may have that. The way we train, we work on assembly line fashion every hour on the hour. So you may have a pregnant woman, possibly a 75-year-old man, and then you may have a, an NFL safety or a baseball player. Or then you may get a high school player. Mm-hmm. And that's every hour that it's changing like that for you. So it takes a unique skill to adjust to that. But it also, what I've realized, and I would tell anyone, is it's simpler than you think if you just get out of your own way. I I think what you just said about options is great because I think mobility, both physically and mentally, your ability to be mentally mobile gives you that uh, access to more options. And if right. you, yeah, so I think that's a key thing to remember is, is I, I like thinking that this mobility is not just physical. It's also your mental outlook 
And if you're not mentally mobile, then you're very limited in what options you have access to. That's right. If you're not willing to change or if you're just stubborn and this is the way it's going to be, I think you limit yourself. You're also going to limit your network and the people that come in to see you. I want to think of the personal trainer, even the strength coach. You're the jack of many worlds. Certified in stick mobility, Mm -hmm. certified in FRC, CFSC. All of that to some degree, because it holds value to you because you like it, mm-hmm. but also you can speak to those realms in some way, shape, or form. Are you a master of it? No, but are you at least proficient of it? For going back to contact athletes in regards to a different approach to training, I think one, especially in the realm of football, I think one of my favorite people that I, even as a kid, I really enjoyed watching because not because just as football, but well, Andre Tippett, linebacker for the New England Patriots back in the day. His the yeah, his offseason programming was martial arts. And what's interesting is when you go back and look at highlights of him, is seeing how he integrated what he learned in martial arts to the field because it taught him how to move how to create leverage, how to get underneath his opponent, how to use momentum against his opponent. It was fascinating to watch him as an athlete. A lot of them talk about ballerina or what's it's on the tip of my tongue, but that, that type of dance type training where you actually have to be graceful. You take a 250, 300 pound man running around chaotically slamming into someone and hitting the ground. But if you take that man and make him graceful to where he learns how to land soft with the body embraces the floor dangerous individual for that particular type of sport i think so and those are different approaches because i think yeah lawrence taylor took ballet as far as i ballet was the word i was looking for Uh, yeah i think that's yeah that's what he he was known to have taken at least a little bit of it and he's the scariest guy that's ever been on the NFL field, right? Yeah, well, pretty close to it. I mean, there's one yeah. of I would definitely yeah. say yeah, top, definitely one top of. three without a doubt. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. So, as far as social media, I know you're crunch for time here. As far as anybody being able to get a hold of you, follow you on social media, where should they be looking? You can reach us. We have at Heart and Hustle Gym. That's our main gym. We have at Trainer Republic. That's our auxiliary gym. And then myself is at Gary C. Gall is my personal Instagram. Check us out. Check out some of the things we're doing. We're, we're growing in this one-on-one business in a space like Trainer Republic. Dennis has been there before. Is a space that we really envision being a school for fitness personnel and trainers that we have everything from one-on-one training to seminars and education to we started up group classes in October. That's a brand and a niche that I think we think we can do very, very well at. But please check us out. Feel free to DM or reach out to me with any kind of questions you may have. And I really, really appreciate this opportunity. Thank well, you. Because you're starting stick classes, right? We right. haven't. We we. I mean, we're having. We're planning on having you come back for the seminars and whatnot. Yeah, we yeah. haven't had anyone just start up the stick classes yet. There's been talks about it. Jason has mentioned it because you know he's out here in Santa Monica. But stick mobility is definitely a part of our world. We use those sticks every single day as part of our warm ups. 
and you've been out, I think, four or five times now. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks for jumping on. We appreciate you, brother. Always good to chat with you as always. Bounce ideas around and talk some shops. So it's always good times. It's always fun. Thank you very much, guys. Yes. Right, Tell the time, crew Gary. hello for us, please. I definitely will. I all definitely right. will. And to all the listeners out there, until next episode, be good to each other. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on, either Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, please, if you could leave a review, we'd appreciate that. If you have any questions that we can answer for you, be sure to leave those in the comments also. If you're looking for more information on our education, our products, please go to www.stickmobility.com. And also hit that subscribe button to that YouTube channel. And don't forget our live Instagram classes three times a week. If you want to join in, grab your sticks and hit that 45-minute class. Yes.